0: Coffee Calm and Connection is about being human. It's about you choosing to prioritize your well-being, putting the time in to strengthen your resilience to adversity and being part of a community that holds you accountable and offers support when the going gets tough. Our podcasts bring expert insight and real-life experiences together for you to enjoy and learn what it is that makes us human and how to work with it. Good afternoon, Aji. Thank you very much for joining me on the Coffee Calm and Connection podcast. It's really great to have you here and I would love to begin by hearing a bit about you, your experience, what it is you do in your daily life.
1: Hi, hi, Sarah. Thanks for, for having me. I'm very happy to, to be here. Um, So uh, yeah, I'm a clinical psychologist. I uh, uh, finished my training back in 2015 and I've since been working uh, in various uh, services within the NHS. Um, So I worked with uh, children uh, who were at risk of permanent exclusion from schools initially and, and their families and then uh, moved on to work with adults uh, within a community setting. So these are usually adults with uh, severe and, and enduring mental health difficulties. And then I moved on to work a little bit um, uh, within the acute service, um, also in the NHS. So working with inpatient and uh, people at crisis. And currently I'm working um, on an uh, international project, um, basically helping train uh, and improve services uh, in the Middle East. And also, um, privately, I work delivering therapies to, to adults uh, and young people.
0: Absolutely incredible. Like, that's <laughs> that's um, that's really, really interesting. That's quite a varied background of, of things that you're doing. It's really interesting mm-hmm. for me because there's a couple of things you've said that um, I'd like to hear a little bit more about. When you're talking about... Let's start with the Middle East. What are you doing out there? That sounds incredible.
1: Yeah, so what are we doing in the Middle East? We are basically... So the Middle East is like like many places in the world. They're discovering that mental health uh, is is really really important, and that uh, there is no physical health without mental health. Um, so they're investing in their services, trying to uh, upskill their staff, uh, trying to make sure that the services are good enough to meet the various needs of the of the population so we deliver training we deliver supervision to local psychologists we are involved in trying to kind of you know help structure the services in a, in a way that works effectively essentially wow um, so one of
0: the, one of the things that that we're doing with with coffee calm connection and it i say we're doing it might just be the way my head's working about it but it's kind of this east meets west thing so this idea of of mindfulness and meditation and Mm. um is is very much an eastern eastern concept that's been Mm. you know hundreds of years has been used and found to be incredibly beneficial to physical and mental health Mm. so i'm interested that working in that you're working in the middle east to Mm. sort of the west are now going to the east to go right now we're going to upskill on the psychology. Tell me your thoughts on that. Have I got the whole thing mixed up?
1: Uh, no, no. I think you're you're right about the the uh, you know the mindfulness kind of traditions and and uh, you know more recently it is linked to to the East, particularly you know Buddhism and that sort of stuff. But uh, it, it does exist in virtually every major religious tradition. As soon as you get into the uh, kind of you know um, mystical or spiritual part of that religious tradition be it judaism be it christianity islam uh, buddhism you will find that there is a massive emphasis on slowing down and engaging in various practices in all of these religions, there are practices that simply involve you paying attention to the breath. The breath takes a really important you know place in all these religious traditions and ultimately, the point of these you know mindfulness practices, whatever shape they take, whether it is like for example uh, just focusing on the breath or praying you know in a big community, the ultimate purpose is psychologically speaking um, perhaps to you know slow down the analytical mind or the chattering mind the chimp that's it the one that has something to say about everything you know that that uh, you know in in perhaps sometimes we call it the overly helpful friend it's always there with you and it's always a bit you know on the overly cautious side or a little bit overly kind of critical um, it's not very understanding most of the time, uh, at least not of your conditions or circumstances. It, it can give the benefit of the doubt to others, but not always to yourself. So I think these are, um, these, are these traditions exist in, in all major religious traditions. Uh, maybe they were popularized or, or best used or articulated by the Buddhist tradition. Um, And that's where we're getting most of it. But, you know, it exists. It is also inherent to the, you know, Islamic tradition, I believe. It is inherent to the, you know, uh, Christian tradition and all of that. So, and I think the fact that it's there everywhere, it speaks perhaps to the fact that maybe there's something true in it. You know, if all these religious traditions spoke about it in different languages and maybe using slightly different practices, maybe they're onto something.
0: And if we take it out of a religious context and into a science-based context, Mm -hmm. there's an awful lot of anecdotal and actual research going on now, isn't there, to to actually what it does to redevelop neuropathways and and calm the central nervous system and, and things like that. What's your experience?
1: Well, so, so, Yes, I'm also aware of lots of kind of research and, and, you know, uh, papers and now books uh, talking about the, uh, you know, uh, the neurological consequences of regular practice of mindfulness and all of that. But I'm always a little bit skeptical about when, when people try to find, you know, neurological basis or, or brain studies in order to justify or encourage people to practice some things. I would actually take it much more simply and say, look, why don't you give it a go and see how it affects your life? You know, like, let's just, you know, ignore all the stuff that happens in your brain, Just focus on the actual day-to-day impact on your own life. Let's see if you can just dedicate 10 minutes a day, for example, to slow down and just breathe and do nothing. And every time you get distracted, return your awareness to the breath and do that consistently for 10 minutes every day and see how that affects your day-to-day life. Uh, And with that, I'm not negating the fact that there is a lot of research that shows that, in fact, you know, brain, the brain does change in response to these practices, you know. Um, So, so yeah, it does, according to what I'm Mm. aware of. But I think, actually, let's slow down and just notice the impact on our own lives.
0: I think that's really wise words, because we seem to be in a world now where you've got to have something you've got to have statistics or rubber stamps or something to to justify anything and actually it a statistic can be pulled from anything it, it, there's so many factors involved that uh, most of them are kind of
1: <laughs> totally
0: but but as soon as somebody's got hold of a statistic, well, this is absolute. You know, there's no argument. Well, there is. Let's. So I, I like that. Let's not get hung up on, you know, the cross the, the statistics. Let's actually just feel the benefit. And and that actually for me plays into what I think we miss a lot now, which is just learning to trust ourselves. Oh, yeah, you don't exactly. need any external justification. Yeah. We're looking inside here, yes. and that's. Yes. Yeah, I like that very much. I've read yeah. a I read a book, um, which I've spoken about loads, because there was one particular concept that I really loved. Have you ever read or heard of the Seven Highly Effective Habits of mm-hmm. Highly Effective People, <laughs> Stephen Covey? I've said the title wrong; it's very long. I've, yeah, have I've you?
1: He- I've heard of it. Uh, I hey. haven't read it, but yeah. Well,
0: there's a there's a passage in it that I uh-huh. love, and it's the it's sort of the precursor to the seven habits which then make up the next seven chapters ironically enough um so the 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 precursor is called the inside out theory mm-hmm. and what he's essentially saying is everything you do there is an internal driver you can blame it on the external mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and there is external things that might impact you but you really got to look at the internal drivers. And what it, what he does is he gives this example where him and his wife had three kids mm-hmm. and the youngest one was not very academic, not really good at school, just not, you know, managing life mm-hmm. like the other two were. So they did everything that you would expect them to do nowadays. So talking about positive mental attitude, if you just hold the bat a bit differently when you're playing baseball, if you just try a bit harder at school. Mm. And what they realized after doing some self-analysis was their need for this child to catch up with the others was an internal need because it validated their parenting style. Mm. So the fact that you're failing looks bad on me. And that's not something that you would you would get to unless you really knew yourself and really took that time to think about what your drivers were. So of course your drivers are to help this child, but there is an internal selfish driver which is you validate me. So buck up, buddy.
1: Exactly. Um, Yes. And the
0: minute they went, oh, we've got to find another way to validate our parenting ability. And backed off this child, he absolutely flourished. And that's because everything they were doing were actually reinforcing this idea that you're you're really not that great. And that for me was so interesting because there are so many things that I'd say. So my middle daughter is autistic oh, okay. and she's amazing. She's essentially everything that's right with the world. But how much of my parenting style has been changed and adapted slightly because oh you you're autistic you need extra help yet no no she doesn't she's incredible on her own and she needs to know that mm. so i mean it's so hard but looking at the inside out i think is really important and quite exciting yeah. Yeah. when you get it
1: no absolutely absolutely and and in fact all all what you're saying about children reminds me of i don't know if you've heard of uh, Khalil Gibran uh, Lebanese uh, mystical sort of, you know, poet, uh, he, if, if you ever, like full of absolute wisdom, he has a little, you know, gem of a, of a poetry book called The Prophet. And it's divided into small topics ranging from everything between birth and death, right? Including things like marriage and, you know, travel, all of that sort of stuff. And what you just said reminded me of uh, a little poem he has titled On Children, can I just read a little bit of it? Just so, Please cause, do. Cause, yeah. So I'm not going to read all of it. It's just, just a little section of it. So um, he's talking about your children. He says, your children are not your children. They are the sons and daughters of life longing for itself. Um, they come through you, but not from you. And though they are with you, yet they belong not to you. You may give them your love, but not your thoughts. For they have their own thoughts. Um, you may house their bodies, but not their souls, for their souls dwell in the house of tomorrow, uh, which you cannot visit, not even in your dreams. Um, you know, and, and it goes on and on. But I suppose the point is here is that uh, that is one of the traps that I think many of us fall into. You know, we bring children into the world, and then we want to live all the things that we haven't to live. Uh, kind of you know to to we want to basically live through our children which is unfair you know and then we impose our own dreams or our, and our own ambitions on these children and then we get angry when they don't fulfill them
0: and it's done very subconsciously hmm. so unless you are really really looking at yourself and your interaction and 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 looking at something that happened and then really taking some time to think why why did I behave that and it's not because you didn't put your shoes on when I asked you why did I behave that way and that is so I I try so hard to do that and obviously live a life full of guilt when I don't do it or when I yell or when Mm, I whatever mm. but the micromanagement of kids that we do nowadays is exactly what you're saying Mm. and and I went to um I went to a kid's trampoline park yesterday with my five-year-old because he um, finished one school and he starts a new school in January. So I took him for a little nice. treat with some friends and it was lovely. And as we sat down, the other two mums and the other two children were there. And I was, you know, we were interacting and chatting, but I, I was sort of watching what was happening as well. And, you know, don't don't jump too high. I no, got, you're not yeah. supposed to be on that. Get down. Can you? I just, I didn't. Yeah. You know, I was watching it and I was wondering how much of that was really what we should have been doing and how much of it we shouldn't. Yeah. And, um, and I, yeah, I think it's really interesting. And you can bring the same thing into a workplace, mm. just interaction with people. Why is it that I don't like you? Why is it that you, my colleague that I sit with every day, why is it that I don't like you and that actually being around you makes me angry and anxious and blah, blah, blah? And often it's not really about you. It's about me. And I see something in you reflected back at me that I don't like.
1: Well, exactly, yeah. And oftentimes that's what we say in that, you know, the things that really annoy us in other people are the things that we struggle to accept in ourselves. So if I see something in you that I really struggle to accept in myself, that I'm going to judge it really harshly. Um, so you know, if if it's it's really quite common these these issues, and I actually think another reason that you know we 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 don't get on with our colleagues sometimes, it's just c- the conversations can be a bit superficial, and it's all nicety chit chit chats, you know, about just nothing substantial, nothing meaningful. I think there is not enough space in our day-to-day, I think, interactions to talk about the stuff that really matters. Many of us are afraid to really think freely and talk freely and mm-hmm. and really be honest about what's difficult in my life. When somebody is asking us, I mean, when I first moved to this country, I was absolutely you know, um, fascinated by this uh, way of greeting others, you know, you're right. I guess so. Right. I guess I thank. yeah, I am all right. You know, it's like, you're already expecting the other person to say, yes, I'm all right. You know? Um, so I think, you know, these conversations are, are almost designed to make you pretend that everything is all right. And we're all wearing this mask all the time that, you know, we're all polished and we're all, Uh, you know, smiley all the time. And we take pictures that that is always, you know, full of happiness and smile or in a wonderful place. And so everybody, I think, goes on assuming that happiness means to smile and have no pain, you know, and have no problems. So when somebody asks you in the office, how are things and all of that, you just kind of say, oh, yeah, it's all good. Great. All of that. No room to talk about the real stuff. No room to talk about the fact that last night maybe you couldn't sleep because you're worried about whether or not you'll have your job tomorrow or or the next month, whether or not you'll be able to pay your mortgage in the next month or whether you're going to have to apply for an extension. Like these are all real problems that real people have everywhere. But it feels like there is a, a conspiracy of silence around it in society where we're all agreeing amongst each other that there are certain things that are not okay to talk about mm. you know we don't want to show the fact that yes i do have some vulnerabilities you, you know I, I have bit major problems in my life but so do you and everybody else here you know yeah and that's what makes us human
0: that do you know two things have happened to me recently which um absolutely highlights that but the reverse of it so but and what I think has happened is COVID and the isolation of has um, increased almost this burst of of honesty. So I was in the um, supermarket with my three children and all of them were badgering me for something and I was on the edge and I was like, oh my God, no, you can't have the marshmallows, put them back. (laughs) And what happened was my youngest walked past a lady's trolley and he went, he really went really close to this trolley and said, oh, there's chicken in there. And I said, sorry, you know, <laughs> kid, obviously he <laughs> likes chicken. Um, I'm curious, and, right? Curious. And he's curious. He mm. And he, absolutely. So, and also the chicken was buried right at the bottom of the trolley. So <laughs> I don't even know how he found it. But anyway, he said, oh, there's chicken in there. And I made a joke and carried on. And she said to me, don't worry i've got three kids and i said oh it's it's good fun isn't it or something along those lines her next words were i've actually got four but one of them's in her 20s and has left home but don't don't you know i know i don't look old enough to have four kids jokey jokey mm-hmm. and i said you actually don't you know i'm i'm really surprised you know how do you do it what cream do you use mm. and she went on to tell me you know, this was a three minute conversation in the supermarket aisle because my son looked at her
1: right.
0: chicken in her trolley that mm-hmm. her husband had left left her. She'd raised three wow. kids on her own. She had um, a debilitating disease and was constantly in pain. She couldn't wear a face mask because she was exempt because of another issue. And it all just poured out of her. Wow. And, you know we had a quick chat i said to her you will you look fabulous you know i wish my skin was not as wrinkled as was as you know as clear and we just had like a joke jokey yeah. conversation but it literally burst out of her and i went away and my my kids were like saying "Mummy, you know what was that about and i it just made me think about how necessary it is to just just be authentic in Hopefully. in whatever vulnerable form that is
1: Hopefully. yeah and, and it's so interesting that actually the catalyst to that, by the sounds of it, meaningful conversation you had was a child's innocence, right? A child not thinking so much about, I wonder what they will say if I were to make that comment, right? It's just like you make it and see what happens. He he observed the chicken, and then suddenly that 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 you know led to a meaningful conversation between mom and this random other person. Yeah. And and actually the thing. That might be interesting interesting to reflect on is wonder how meaningful that conversation was for the lady who told you about all her difficulties. You know, mm. imagine to to just be able to have three three-minute conversation to a completely random person who just listens. Yeah. You
0: know? That's actually that's completely how Coffee Calm Connection started. I did was in a webinar that I was running and we did a small group and I got speaking to a lady and she. we were slap bang in the middle of um, proper uh, lockdown and she was living on her own. And we happened to be talking. And again, she really just out of nowhere, this is the first interaction I've had and I have so needed it. Exactly. And I've got um, MS and I can't, my back sore mm. and my employee and everybody's doing more than me. I'm seeing on on Zoom and emails, all my all my fellow colleagues are so productive and they seem to be nailing this whole really? thing. And yeah. everybody's going, oh, you know, taking travel out and I've got so much more time. And she's going, oh my God, I can't make my brain work. Yes. And it was, again, really enlightening. And when, when lockdown first happened, there was a thing that went across social media. And I can't remember the exact words, but it was something like, if something like if you can't use this time to learn a new language Mm. you never lacked time you lacked dedication and I started lockdown going oh oh I should definitely learn a new language and homeschool three children and run three businesses and actually I'm failing at all of it so I'm Mm. just a bad person and that's how I started exactly there's no real genuine understanding of people and emotions and how that Mm. plays into the world
1: Absolutely, and this is uh, and and you know you mentioned social media, and th- these are the messages that we're constantly getting. That to be quote unquote normal, you know, is is this way and this way only. And if you're not it, then there is something um, something wrong with you, and you need to sort yourself out. Um, so so if you're not you know achieving all these things, uh, then it's it's perhaps your fault. Maybe you're being lazy or whatever, Mm -hmm. Um, or if you're not smiling, then it means there's something wrong with you. So go and get yourself a pill to make sure that you know you're happy enough waking up in the morning, you know, irrespective of all the difficulties that is that you're facing in life. You know, let alone in a pandemic. So I think there's a, I don't know. I think it's we live in times where we're increasingly pathologizing. Um, normal human emotions and we're increasingly restricting the range of emotions that we deem to be normal and healthy so so if you're feeling anxious then you know you've got an anxiety problem and if you're feeling sad then maybe you're depressed and and all of that whereas you know these are all emotions that are there for a reason if you feel them maybe another way to look at them if you feel them perhaps, they signal that something in your life is not working the way you wish it did. You know, uh, maybe there's a gap between the sort of life that you want to live and where you're at at the moment. Hence the, the feeling signaling distress, right? Yeah. So to to dampen the, the signal, the painful emotion is a bit like turning the fire alarm off while your hi- house is on fire because you don't like the alarm. Well, it's a really important thing to listen to because you know, it's, it's telling you that something is not the way you want it to be. So instead of suppressing it or pathologizing it by calling it a name, such as depression or whatever, actually call it for what it is. You're feeling sad and you're feeling, I don't know, helpless. Maybe there's a good reason you're feeling helpless. Maybe it's because whatever you do you know, doesn't result in any change in your life. And naturally, we become helpless when our actions have no effect um
0: here's a question for you because i see this a lot in my kids and and my kids generation that feeling of helplessness it sort of starts a anxiety frustration and some negative feelings but actually the feeling of helplessness is almost born out of but you should fix it Exactly. You should give me something yeah. to fix it. Yeah. I don't want to go and run 3 miles a day every day and eat really healthily. I just want to be thin. So yeah. could you just fix it for me? Yes. And that and comes back to the inside out thing. Mm. Nothing's easy and it shouldn't yeah. be. Work yeah. for it, you'll feel better for it. Yeah. But this that is not really a popular opinion
1: no exactly i mean uh, delayed gratification is a is a is a dirty i think concept in these times you know we're all literally programmed to have what we want now and if we don't then you know you're encouraged to feel angry and offended
0: You'd um, want to hear a funny story on delayed gratification?
1: Please do, yeah.
0: <laughs> my daughter said to me three days ago, I'd like to cut my hair for the Princess Trust. She's uh-huh. got really long, beautiful, blonde hair. Mm-hmm. And I said to her, that would be lovely. I want you to think about it. Mm-hmm. And on the 4th of January, when the hairdresser comes, if you'd like to do it, you can do it. Mm-hmm. So she thought about it and she woke up this morning and she thought... <laughs> I am not okay with waiting. And she went downstairs and she got the scissors and she oh cut her hair off. Um, so yeah. yeah, delayed gratification is not a parenting. Yes. It's not something I have been able to uh, instill yeah. in my eight-year-old.
1: Uh, I mean, it's a really difficult thing. And, and, and as far as I understand the concept, it's, it's not something innate. I mean, it may be mediated by, by you know some, some kind of hereditary stuff that you come into the world maybe primed to be better or worse at it. But it's certainly a developmental process. It's like, you know, we develop it from our experience of being parented, but also the way society works, you know. Just think about it. If credit was not as easily available, we would all be much better at not buying things we do not need. Right. And, and it's interesting, even the way we use language, we oftentimes go, oh, yeah, no, I need to go shopping because I need a new dress. It's like, I don't think you need it. I think you want it, but you don't need it. But when you tell yourself you need it, you justify buying it and maybe even taking out a loan to buy it. Um, and of course, not to mention all the advertisement and everything else that tells us we need it, that tells us we will be happy for example, to buy the latest iPhone or whatever, you know. Mm. So, How so, do
0: we change it? How do we, because these things that we're talking about are fundamental to our anxiety levels, depression levels, stress levels, they're fundamental. How do we change it? Because yeah. society is not with us on it.
1: No, not at all. You know, my, my biggest advice is slow down. And I think that's so hard to do. Uh, to just slow down before you decide that you need to go to the shops and buy, I don't know, whatever item. Just slow down, maybe do what you ask your daughter to do. You know, um, Actually, can you wait uh, for a week before you go and buy it and just slow down and, and think about it. You're not saying no, you're not saying yes, but just slow down. Before you do it now, pause, wait for another few days and then maybe you want to buy it or not and then.
0: how do you transfer that into a workplace environment particularly if you're for example um a sales executive and you've got targets and you you've got external pressures telling you if you don't do this you're not good enough you're going to lose your job how yeah. how do you
1: yeah i mean that's that's a really difficult environment to work in and so going back to the mindful mindfulness literature you know mindfulness is a tool you can use it to whatever end you know you can use it to become more kind and compassionate but you can also use it to become really good at for example uh selling or really good at meeting your targets or whatever and the uh, the thing that works in mindfulness apparently well one of the things that work is doing one thing at a time And doing that with with your full attention and concentration being on that one thing. So every time your mind is taking you to, you know, the threats, for example, if I don't get the sale, then I might lose my commission or I might lose my job. Well, actually bring back your mind to the task at hand. That is a real possibility. But ask yourself, what can I do about that now, except to pay all my attention and effort onto completing what I'm doing now to the best of my ability? So so I think, you know, bearing in mind uh, the mindfulness principles about doing one thing at a time, doing it skillfully, doing it non-judgmentally, you know, and and acknowledging that the human mind is designed to uh, be distracted. It is designed to constantly pull you into the future or the past, especially if there is a threat in the future. So be kind to yourself when you notice that Oh God, I'm really finding it difficult to concentrate because I've had a difficult conversation with my boss, or there is a really difficult uh, deadline or target coming up. Of course, you're gonna find it difficult to concentrate. You know, not to label that difficulty as a sign of weakness or or ineptitude as a as a as a worker. You know, so so slowing down, doing one thing at a time, and ensuring that you're gentle with yourself the way you would be with somebody you respect and and care about right like imagine if that was the person who's struggling to concentrate with the threat of I don't know dismissal in the future you know imagine Mm -hmm. if that was somebody you cared about how would you encourage them to to engage meaningfully in the task at hand
0: I like what you said about the overly helpful friend because my overly helpful friend is overly critical so so is mine yeah (laughs) constantly oh that wasn't great was it oh that was a bit awkward I don't think you should have done all the time time, you shouldn't have said that Sarah you're a chronic oversharer piped (laughs) out all of this is just on my shoulder always and Mm. what you've just said there's really helpful because slow down applies to the to more than anything to the project deadlines work and one of the analogies I like is um it's almost like we think we're computers and we've got too many tabs exactly. open.
1: So exactly.
0: Close a few down, turn yes. your phone off, stop your emails popping up.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Have you heard but- of the Pomodoro
1: principle? No, actually. Tell me, please.
0: It's um it's a um sort of efficiency principle. Mm. And I've probably got it wrong because it was a while ago I read about it. But it's basically you set a timer for 25 minutes mm-hmm. and in that 25 minutes you do nothing but the task you've got And when the timer goes off you've got five minutes to go and be distracted and do what you want uh, and then back to 25 minutes and yeah. you do that for a two-hour block and it yeah. and it's you know for project deadlines and and yes. and i actually use it and i'm always encouraging my husband who's an amazing procrastinator <laughs> to just just get it done just, let's just yes. use you know you've got your five minute mm-hmm. where you can go and be distracted but otherwise 25 yes. minutes do it
1: yes. Yeah, exactly. Interesting uh, principle, but, but I do want to go back to, to the analogy you used with the, with the computer. Um, I think you said something about you know, us being like a computer type of thing. You know? And that analogy is used widely in, in society and in various disciplines, including uh, you know, in, in mental health area. And it's a dangerous one, I think. You know, because it, it, it assumes the human being is a bit like a machine, more specifically like a computer, with parts that can be understood in isolation from the rest, from the whole, right? And, you know, when the human being, the computer, gets broke, so anxious or depressed, it is because certain parts in them is not working as they should. So when you investigate that, you kind of discover, oh yeah, they're having too many negative thoughts. So we need to replace their negative thoughts with positive thoughts, and then they will be fine. It's a bit like a virus, right? The computer's got a virus and it's doing all the bad stuff. You take out the virus, you replace it you know, with a good thing, and it all returns to normal. Well, Maybe human beings are not like computers. I mean, we certainly aren't if you just look, right? And maybe we aren't designed or we, aren't, uh, we haven't evolved to sit for eight hours in front of a computer working on a spreadsheet nonstop, right? So when you feel that you cannot do that, it's not because you're, a, you know, you're incompetent. It's just because we weren't made to do that sort of thing for that long. So be kind you know, with yourself. Take it easy. In, in a sense, you know, remember that you're not a machine, even if society expects you to be like a machine, you know. I so love I think, that. Yeah. So I, I, I really think it's very important to to just remember we are not machines, you know. And if you are not living up to being a good machine, that's not because you're broken. It's because you're just a human being like everybody else.
0: There's another analogy. I don't know if you've watched this film. It's called I Am by Tom Chardon. I can't say his name, Shajak. He's okay. the guy that um, directed Ace Ventura. Mm. It's an, it's only an hour long. It's a documentary. And I would highly recommend you watch it because it's so interesting. Mm. And it, it's he's, he basically goes on the pursuit of happiness and what is happiness and how do yes. we as, as humans um, uh, sort of cultivate happiness. And one of the things he says is, if I'm a very skilled mechanic and I take a car apart, I can put it back together and it will run. If I'm a very skilled vet... I cannot chop a dog up and then sew it back together and make it live because that essence of life and humanity is something that we don't understand yet. Exactly. So stop trying to put us in the mechanic, put us in the in the the life bit, and really understand that we've got we are multifaceted, very complicated um, absolutely. beings.
1: Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. You know, and 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 remembering that. Uh, the brain is a living, breathing organ. It responds to its environment. Feelings, instead of being you know judged as good or bad, see them as signals. Signals that that literally uh, what's it called reflect what's happening in your life. You know, if it's very difficult to control your thoughts and feelings on demand, they respond to things that happen in your environment one way to view them is a bit like the weather, they're constantly changing, perhaps, you know, like, if you win the lottery, of course, you're going to feel excited, right? So that's not, again, you cannot stop yourself from feeling excited, or happy or whatever. And equally, if you lose someone, you will feel sad and bereft. That's not because you're broken or you're depressed. If you uh, are about to lose your job, of course, you're going to struggle to sleep. If you're having the threat of, you know, not being able to pay your rent or mortgage, you will struggle to sleep at night. That is because it's an, anyone would feel like that in that situation, you know, because we're human beings. We're not like a machine. You can just turn off that feeling and turn it back on when you want it. So I think the, you know, the main final thing I would say is, to also think about what is within your control to influence and maybe redirect your attention and effort to focus on those things. And usually the things that are within our control to influence is our behaviours. Our hands, what we do with them, our legs, what we do with them, and our mouth, what we say with them. The rest, the thoughts and feelings, they're very hard to control compared to our behaviours. Yeah. You know.
0: And actually if you put any kind of process in, which is what we're trying to do with Coffee Carbon Connection, a process that gets people thinking about this regularly, mm. um, so that they can try to to um, think about some behaviors which will have an impact. So over time, it might impact how you feel and how you think and, and whether your glass half empty or glass half full or mm. I love the saying people that say are you glass half empty or glass far half full miss the point the glass is refillable i love exactly. that i exactly. think it's brilliant that's really good <laughs> do you know what we haven't we haven't even touched on some of the trauma stuff what you do um the act therapy i think you said or act. Uh, yes act i'd love to hear more yes. about that and i know yes. we're, we're um uh, you've got uh, lots of very important things to go on and do with but i would really love to do another one of these chats for a later podcast episode if you would like to because I've really enjoyed it.
1: No, absolutely. It'd be my pleasure. You know, at any time, just, just give me enough notice and yeah.
0: Wonderful. Well, yeah. thank you so much for your time today. I think yeah. it's been really interesting.
1: Yeah. No, thanks, Sarah. This this is, yeah, really interesting. And, and, you know, good luck with the project you're doing. I can, uh, yeah, your idea is really interesting. And I do wonder if, yeah, I have some things that maybe I can share with you in terms of just offering groups. Um, based on Wonderful. act principles, you know, for staff well-being and that sort of stuff, it's really interesting. So that
0: would be incredible. Yeah. One of the things that we're building alongside the five-minute boosts, uh-huh. and, and it's integral to this, is the community.
1: Yes. So
0: we're, we're, we've got an online community which is going to be only honest, transparent, be That's vulnerable, right. be scared, exactly. be everything, be human, in right?
1: Be yeah. human. Be, human. Yeah. be yourself might, and honest. Yeah. That
0: might that might be my tagline. Be human.
1: Uh, absolutely. Yeah. It's like. <laughs> you know yeah,
0: yeah i love it, it
1: it's fun to be human no <laughs> it
0: is it is take some of this my husband's got the best saying we're all just monkeys in suits uh, so I, let's I stop totally pretending agree. that I we're totally anything agree. other than that and just enjoy life totally yeah
1: it's fabulous Thanks, thank you very much take care. have a
0: wonderful uh weekend and a lovely festive season if Thanks. i don't speak to you before
1: and you too and Cheers. good luck thank, thank you, you. bye, bye.
0: Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Your reviews, shares and followership is incredibly valuable to us. If you'd like to know more about our work through Coffee Calm and Connection and how we can support you, please email us at hello at coffeecalmconnection.org or follow us on social media. Thank you.